This episode of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Heights Archery. Heights Archery is a locally owned outdoor store in Winnipeg, Manitoba, where you can get all of your outdoor needs fulfilled there. They have firearms selection, they have ammunition, they have reloading stuff, they have archery stuff, obviously archery lanes, and uh, you get a very personalized experience there. So if you're interested in getting into some, uh, some some hunting gear this fall and you need somebody to answer your questions as well, head over to Heights Archery in Winnipeg or head over to the website heightsoutdoors.com. Welcome back to episode 97 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast today with April Vokey. And uh, before we get rolling on the podcast, I got my brother Tristan on the other end here, tuning in from Lockport, Manitoba. How is how are things going, Lockport tonight, buddy? Oh, not bad, not bad. Just uh, hanging low after a long weekend at baseball there. And just the one thing about heights, I did get my dog vest in from Jason. There, or not my dog vest, my uh, upland vest with Jason there. Supposed to take Willie out soon, but didn't get around to it this weekend. So just hoping to have a little bit more time coming up here. But uh, we'll see. Things are getting busy real quick. Nice. That, 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 that looks like a nice-looking piece of equipment there that you got from Emma's as well yeah i'm uh i'm real excited for it i'm gonna do a little reveal on our social media when i get a minute just uh put some makeup on and make sure i'm presentable to the world and uh yeah should be good nice how's how's the start of fall going with with willie here i know uh you and i took him out the other day and and uh although we never came across any birds he certainly looked like he was he was working pretty good yeah, I was really impressed with the way he worked the wind. He uh, he was able to kind of work the field. He did really well into the wind, I thought, and then even coming back, uh, so working the field back to the towards the truck with the wind, he was able to uh, adapt, and he was running different lines and looping back into the wind, kind of. Uh, so he'd run up and loop back in, mm-hmm. and uh, just goes to show you just like how smart those dogs are, and uh, when you when you're able to connect with someone who who knows what they're doing with those dogs, it's, it's really nice to, to how big of an aid they can really be free in the field. So yeah, he, he didn't point anything that day, like you mentioned, but we've had chickens in the backfield here. He's pointed both days on the weekend so far. So he's got it in him. It's just, we got to tie it all together here with uh, me being there with a the gun and Willie being there with his nose on. And that should be good. Nice. That's awesome. It's always uh I remember back to when when Remington was young and and like the first year or two having him in the field was always a gong show just because he was just so ready to go and you know it's just like um reminds me of a teenager almost they're they're almost more energy than brains for sure you know oh yeah 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 the nice part about uh the uh upland work though is that they uh they can run so like you don't need to keep them reeled in the whole time so willie's job is to go and uh run an entire section of fields so he's uh he's got the running down it's now it's the fine-tuning of locking it in and making sure he stays tight long enough for us to get in there with the guns that's cool so some of the work that uh i seen you doing with with graham there seems like he's really um utilizing the the older dogs a lot to kind of help him help willie show or help help willie learn 
you know, what, how the proper way to approach a situation is almost. Yeah. Graham's doing great for sure. And like, it helps, it helps with the older dogs. Cause what happens is, is Willie will be backed off on a leash. So he gets to watch the older dog point and, uh, and work in. And what Willie should do is back that point or honor that point. So he should actually point that other dog in some ways. Um, so just being able to get him around that kind of activity and see what's what, I think it helps him piece the, put the pieces together a little bit more uh, concretely. Mm-hmm. So he know he knows that it's when it's time to work, you're in the field, you're looking for a bird, and you're gonna lock in on that bird as opposed to chasing every other songbird that he sees in the field kind of scenario. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's fun, man. That's exciting, and it's. Uh... Yeah, hopefully we can get on a few more fields here coming up. But but uh, besides that process, we've been certainly kind of deep into the the moose hunt planning here. Oh yeah, and uh, we we've had some uh, curveballs, a few curveballs. Yeah, so we're not going to drop them here right now. But I think we're going to do a little uh, a little info session here. And I still have some stuff to figure out. To be honest with you. Um, still have some calls to make and uh it's coming together but it, it's super last minute we probably should have been doing this about a month ago but yeah. uh stay tuned for uh for a little informative session with us on on moose camp planning on the train um i guess one one cool thing that that we kind of did there too around camp and i'm going to mention this right now um, was we got on the old high hunter, we got Jamie back on there and, uh, we got some spots picked out and we, we shared all those locations kind of across the I hunter platform. We actually made a moose hunt group in the group chat now, so we can just, um, uh, streamline our communication through that. So lots of waypoint sharing. We got the, uh, you know, you're able to to draw on there the section that if you want to indicate an area and say this area is the area that we want to cache you just draw a line on the map share that and uh and we're rolling so it's uh it's been really useful in that perspective yeah just even to be able to share a a waypoint in a group message setting is in my opinion so much more valuable because then everyone's got the same waypoint and is marked the same way it's got like, like we talked about earlier, you can, you can have a picture on it. And so everyone's got the same thing. It's not, you know, even even 40 yards different. Yeah. It's the same waypoint. So if we all need to meet up in the middle of the bush, we could drop that waypoint, hopefully. Yeah. And, and get there, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of tricky because, like, as long as you have cell service, you can share stuff like that. But the area we're going into, likely not cell service. So, um, I don't think there's going to be any sharing, uh, waypoints happening, um, wirelessly. We, we can yeah, obviously, I just, I just meant in general, right. We can obviously type, type them in manually, but the, the really cool thing is like iHunter still works without cell service. You know, we're, we're still operates as like a GPS unit operating over top of a satellite imagery map. So you can see exactly where you are, not like those old GPSs that just give you a squiggly line that represents a river, but 
doesn't actually show you much of the river or what's happening on it you know totally so so that's cool and uh the area we're in actually you know we're just able to use the base map on there um although on the iHunter platform they do have public land map subscriptions and the landowner map subscriptions as well and uh if you want to go check them out they obviously have the app they can download on the phone they also have their web platform and if you are looking to get 30% off of your public land subscription, head over to web.ihunterapp.com. Type in the promo code Panoramic30. We'll get you 30% off the public land subscription. Yeah, man. And uh, all the all the planning. We sat in the rifles the other day. That was fun. It was good to be just out putting rounds downrange. And uh, had to do a little fidgeting with the 300, but wasn't too happy about that. But I think we got it close enough, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but I haven't been out for archery much, have you? I had uh, last week I got out a couple times. Um, one was kind of planned and one was not planned. And I, the one time that I went out earlier in the week, um, man, I always get so excited going out because I think like today is going to be the day. Today is going to be the day. And I had like a, an improvised game plan where I was going to go sit in this rock pile and and uh, just be covered up in deer because I've seen quite a few deer in the vicinity of that rock pile previously. So I get out there and I end up seeing six freaking bears on the field edges all around me because now I got a 360 view of all the bush lines. And uh, yeah, six bears. So I ended up putting a stock on one of the bears at last light because I certainly wasn't seeing much for deer. And, uh, man, I, I stalked into 40 yards and I, I was pretty excited. Got calmed down and the bear didn't even know I was there for the first little bit. Then he turned seeing me and he just kind of got up and started sauntering off. And I had him 40 yards at full draw and it was just... It was last light. It was real dark. I could see his body definitively, but I could not, you know, I couldn't, didn't have a good um, defining picture of, I guess, his forebody. So I had his, his outline well, and I just wasn't sure if his shoulder was back or forward. And I didn't want to be chasing a wounded bear around the woods all night. So I opted to not to pull the trigger on that guy. Although he would have been a tasty one because I know he's been eating all those uh, choke cherries and stuff in the bushes mm-hmm. around there. Some pretty good choke cherry woods there. So, but uh, so that was pretty exciting. And then the following night, I went out. We actually had a big cold front come through, and uh, I was severely underdressed. <laughs> Not severely, but uh, I actually had to put on my my long sleeve wool of stuff, like my long undies. So I got geared up with that, got out there, and uh, pulled me through the, the thick of it. And uh, the deer action was a lot more hot and heavy that day. No bears that time. Mm. And uh, it was funny because I was all gung-ho now to go in hot and heavy on a bear because I had one come out early in, early in the night the day before and uh, not, not one that night. So tons of deer. Closest shot I had was 86 yards and... Uh, just a little too far for me. So yeah, let them go. The, the bears are moving in packs now. How terrifying is that? That's, <laughs> that's absolutely terrifying. Um, I, I, if 
speaking about archery season, it's kind of funny. I made a tactical error last year with my backpack and I've been paying for it all through this season so far. And when I say I made a tactical error, I may have doe urine back in rifle season last fall. And I say that again, between, I mishandled my doe urine, like the <laughs> doe and heat. Yeah. So I, I was not as careful with the, uh, with the bottle as I should have been. I was kind of flippant with how I was distributing it both on, uh, on my drag line and on my, I put some on my boots once in a while and yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember last year I was like, it got on my gloves and it got in my one pocket on my, on my bag. <laughs> and, and it, the gloves are fine because they went through the wash, but the bag is just still, I opened up my truck because I kept my bag in my truck overnight one night and I opened it up and it was like, I had a deer urine, oh. like uh air freshener hanging from this. I had five deer urine air fresheners hanging from the center console on that. 05 Sierra. So lesson to the wise here, be very careful with that, with that bottle of tanks because it will haunt you all, all season. If you, uh, if you don't, I would recommend even keeping it in a plastic bag and just like squirting it straight out of the plastic bag and trying not to touch anything. Yeah. Because Man, they don't play around when they make that stuff. I shouldn't laugh, man, because I have a backpack, uh, the one that I have, my Badlands pack, that I kept some of those uh, scent sticks, the burnable ones. I kept them in there for, I don't know, whatever it was, the full rifle season or whatever it was, season I was hunting. And I, that backpack still just reeks of dough urine. And I've, I've tried rinse, rinsing it, washing it, and it's... It's not happening. So if uh, if anybody has any tips on how to get rid of that stuff out of your, your pack, drop us a line. I'd love to know. I might try the old the old soap soak coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, I'm soon. getting desperate too. So Yeah, so we'll see. Um, back to Wool Love for a second. If you guys are interested in hopping in some Wool Love and you want to get a gift card for them, some free money. Send us a DM. We'll get your email off you, and uh, we'll get some gift cards heading your way. So if you want to try out something warm this this fall, and uh, I've been wearing it, we've all been wearing it a lot, and uh, I'm sure Sheldon's going to have a one hell of a review on it after all this work he's been doing on uh, on the east side here. So um, yeah, look us up, DM us, email us whatever you want to do and uh, just say you're looking for a uh, some free money from Olaf and we'll get your email and we'll get it sent your way. Yeah. It's really awesome. That one guy I, I know reached out to us the other day and uh, he wasn't even sure what the, the product was called, but uh, it's like, Hey, what's that underwear you guys wear? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We'll love. Yeah. No, we love it. Like it's, uh, it's awesome. Right. So I can't, uh, I can't say I've found a better Merino product on the market. So, and at, at that price, it's really hard to beat. So Mm -hmm. the one thing I really enjoy about it too, is that it, it, if anybody knows me, I'm, I'm built like a, uh, a gangly Sasquatch and they're like long sleeve products fit me quite well, which is unusual for, for clothing. I second that. And it's, uh, it's almost like I'd rather have the fabric than not have it. So like, I'd rather be roll up my sleeve an inch or two mm-hmm. 
and it actually have cover my wrist than than be sitting out there having my entire forearm exposed because the clothing doesn't fit properly so yeah no kidding think about it it's important yeah how are you feeling about the next few weeks here you got uh plans to get out in the archery stand plans to get out in the field with willie or you just kind of crunching stuff to, uh... i'd like to get out man it's been a grind we got to get some moose camp stuff lined up still like you identified we gotta um i gotta get on a couple things on the weekend too and unfortunately apparently there's other things in my life that still exist that are not hunting and fishing i can't completely remember what those are but um yeah we even talked about trying to hit the river for a walleye run here before the the freeze went down but those man busy it's hard to wrap my head around sometimes yeah yeah it's pretty wild how life sneaks up on you so even though on our instagram feeds it may look like we're out there every day and just living the the best life but uh you know sometimes it's, it's tough to get out in the field for us as well anyways without further ado we should get going on this april vokey episode yeah because, i was gonna say uh, who, who, who's on this podcast even yeah i had a i had a blast uh talking with april um i know tristan you you kind of dominated the conversation on this one and april is just i feel like a very confident smart and capable human being and I love what she's doing and um, I love how she built up her business and overcome adversity. And uh, yeah, here she is. Let's give it a listen. Well, joining us for today's episode is a very well-known outdoors media lady coming to us from on the other side of the the globe today. And uh, you're, you're very well known in the fishing outdoors and uh hunting gardening homesteading all kinds of stuff um welcome welcome april Voki. thank you for having me back it's good to see you guys yeah how's how are, are things on your side of the uh the globe right now uh different it's funny hearing you describe me as an outdoors woman I've been in lockdown long enough where I'm like, am I? Oh yeah, I am. Right. <laughs> I don't feel very outdoorsy. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, I primarily fly fish. I think it's probably where uh, I've devoted most of my career, but I love obviously bow hunting and foraging gardening. I'm still new to this gardening thing, but I'm trying. I've been, I've been following along a little bit on your social feeds and it looks like you're curating, um, like a, a bit of a, a pretty nice garden environment in your your place there in Australia. And yeah. you got some fruit trees happening and a whole bunch of other stuff too. Oh yeah, no, it's gone back wild. And now that I'm in lockdown, I've taken, we had this other enormous patch and I just uprooted the whole thing and I've converted it into this amazing wild garden. And, and I, I do have to say, you know, this is, I, I want to give myself some credit because this is my first year of actually having brassicas. And I know... Anyone who doesn't garden right now is like, oh my God, what a dork. But brassicas for me were such a big deal and it was successful. I've been eating cauliflower like it's going out of style. So <laughs> it's working. So I mean, that's the one good thing about the lockdown. And and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to play them too much. I have been getting out and um, our rut here for deer, with a deer eye hunt anyway, is March and April. And so this was always a down time. I mean, even while I'm talking to you right now, I've got venison jerky in the dehydrator and 
you know, doing what I would be doing anyway. Um, but now that it's starting to warm up, getting back out, putting cams back out, getting back on trails. So I've been, I've been out, but it's harder to access fishing than it was prior to lockdown. I, I want to congratulate you on your brassica because that, that is a big deal. I haven't been able to grow much here and I feel like it might even be harder in Australia because of the, the way the climate is down there. Is that fair to say? Sometimes it's the bugs. I mean, the climate here, actually in Sydney, I've got to say gardening, I'm staring at one of my gardens as I'm talking to you, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard because of, because of bugs, not climate. Interesting. My, my, uh, my broccoli and stuff always gets, once the heat comes, it always starts to shoot because it's, yeah. uh, it's, it gets too much sun and too much heat, but, uh, and, and we get the bugs too here. So we, uh, don't always have those benefits. You mentioned I the, the, like I have a hard time stopping my broccoli from bolting too. I will yeah. say broccoli is a tough one for me. So when you figure it out, let me know. I think it's got something to do with um, having too many nutrients in your soil or, or too rich or. Oh, that's a great compliment. Cause I feel like our soil sucks right now. We, we tilled up a, a basically a patch oh, of grass. Yeah, I can't remember which one it is. I know I complained the other day to a woman down, down the road at the nursery. I said, Cabbage is going great. Cauliflower is great. Broccoli is bolting. And she totally had the solution, but I, I, I missed what it was. I think she said it was over fertilizing it. Okay. We'll loop back to that one. We'll have to check it out. Um, you mentioned that things are a little uh, locked down at the moment on your end. Like just how I, I feel like folks out on our end might not fully appreciate the situation there. Uh, obviously this isn't a COVID podcast, but like how, how serious is the lockdown in Australia right now? So we are mid-September as we speak right now, and we have not been able to leave since July. Oh, wow. So we were, thankfully, we were in the Kimberley when the lockdown really started. And we're fools because we're like, well, how long can it honestly last? You know, we, we thought about staying on the other side of the country where there was no lockdown. But we foolishly came back, uh, I think the last week of July, or yes, last half of July. And so it was, it's been all of July, all of August, all of September and they're talking about starting to open up the last week of October, September, October. Oh, so wow. who knows? I mean, there's also rumor it goes till Christmas. I don't know. I don't know. I just want to get back to Canada and we'll be on the first flight out. Well, hopefully you're coming back at a, a decent time to work. Man, I can only imagine it'd be bad coming back to Canada just as if we enter lockdown or something like that. Right. We just stay in Australia if that's the case. Yeah. No, I did, honestly, it doesn't matter what the month, what the anything. We will be there on the first flight out because there's a travel ban on Australian citizens leaving. People don't quite, they can't quite grasp the situation. Like, oh, well, just do the quarantine and come over. It's not like that. Like Australian, Australia citizens cannot leave the country. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I can leave. I'm Canadian, but my husband's an Aussie, and because they're only allowing, this is the key takeaway, just for people who, just to get people up to date. They're only allowing 2,500 Australians back a week because of how empty the flights are, right? So flights are expensive and they're few and far between. So if this Canadian gal decides she wants to go to see her family, they're not going to have any sympathy and let me back in. Obviously, I have to wait. There are still 40,000 Australians who are trying to get back in. Wow. Holy. So we could go months without, we could go months without seeing my husband and it's just not fair. So Yeah, that would be tough. And so I guess like you're, you're balancing those priorities right now, I guess it's got to be a real tough question because it's obvious probably playing into how you manage your media, how you manage all those different things. And uh, 
your identity as an outdoors person like man i i can't imagine because we've we've still been able to uh to access our passions and our outdoors stuff that's what's kept us sane maybe through a lot of the the lockdown here but uh we've reconnected with that in different ways um have you had any tools or tricks up your sleeve to help you through the the past few months here since july no, I literally, I've got social in my calendar. I've got a list like this of things to do every day. And every single day, I should probably just take it off the calendar. But for months, every day I see the social and I just delete it. I just can't bring myself to do it. I mean, everything else is is going as is, right? I mean, the podcast, I still air a podcast every two weeks, which I've always done. I've put all my energy into business and family and gardening. So that's been great. Um but no, as far as social and trying to maintain some sort of an image, no, I can't bring myself to post fake pictures or throwback, you know, throwback TV, whatever it is, throwback Thursday. Is that what it is? Throwback Friday, throwback Thursday? You can throw uh, it back whenever you want these days. Whatever it is. <laughs> I can't bring myself to throwback or do any of that stuff. So, <clears throat> no, I'm just hanging on and focusing on other stuff. But primarily work, which is, of course, an outdoor. I work in the outdoors, so. Mm-hmm. 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 outdoor online business yeah and i i, I was curious about the because she said you're like you're venturing into the garden are you taking you diving into it a little deeper we'll say have you had any learning lessons aside from how to successfully uh fertilize or not fertilize broccoli like what, what <laughs> what's that curve been like for you oh look it's been pretty slow i'm i'm starting to understand companion plants but for, for a while there, so when we launched Anchored Outdoors, uh, and I say we just because we have so many contributors, mm-hmm. it was primarily, you know, it was Fish Hunt Forge Homestead. And you've got, we are, I'm a, I'm, it's a membership company. So I've got to listen to our members. They are the most important thing to the business. And so they primarily want fly fishing and that's where we've shifted. So the pressure on me to learn more about you know, the gardening and the foraging, even though I love it personally, for a while there, I was feeling a bit of pressure professionally because I can't have contributors spouting nonsense. I have to at least have some idea of what, you know, what they're saying and who they are. Um, so now that we're focusing almost 100% on fly fishing, it's taken a lot of, of pressure off. So I'm just organically learning my mistakes and slowly letting aphids take over my life. And <laughs> yeah, but, but look, I love gardening, but as soon as, as soon as I can, I'd rather, I need to get, I need to get on an airplane and travel and get the, get the waiters on. on New Zealand. Yeah. I just need to, I need some adventure. I'm going out of, I'm an adventure gal. As much as I'd love to talk about broccoli all day, I'd rather be talking about you know, grizzly bears and crazy rapids. So hopefully we can get back to it. Have you been in the bathtub in your waders yet? Has it slipped to that <laughs> that level? No, I'm not psycho, but <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I've been practicing archery. Uh, done yeah. a little bit of fly casting. Yeah. Well, I gotta ask then, like um, yesterday, aside from being a you know a, a world hallmark for a lot of reasons that. Uh, the other day was uh, International Women's Fly Fishing Day. Did you do anything to celebrate that yesterday? Oh, I didn't even know. I don't. Oh, I, don't, I just I, I picked know. it up off social media. I'll tag you <laughs> in it next time. It comes up. I need to start opening social media. I don't open it. I, I literally. So this is what I do every morning. Okay, I wake up, I swipe my phone. First of all, I stretch. Then I swipe my phone to the left. What news is happening? Crazy news. Okay, now. And then the next thing I do is <laughs> check my crypto portfolio. <laughs> I spend a decent amount of time there. And then 
check for any crazy YouTube comments. And then honestly, I 99% of the time forget to open Instagram, which is funny. I was thinking about this the other day. There was a time when Instagram was so hot and, and maybe it is, and I'm just getting old. I don't know, but I would wake up every morning and be like, okay, I'm check my Instagram and just make sure I don't have to put out any fires, you know, idiotic comments or something silly. But I just, it's almost like Instagram doesn't exist. It's the funniest thing. And it's mm-hmm. so strange. It doesn't bother me at all. You know what? But, you know, I miss the community. There's a great community on Instagram, but, I, but I'm not up to date with the, which day it is today. What were, what were you going to say? There's, there's definitely still some, uh, some active, not so much on Instagram, I find, but like, uh, Facebook is a platform that I usually find has most of the, uh, so like the fights happening, the arguments, the disagreements, and it's just, we don't even dive into those half the time just because they're just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. No, look, I gotta say, I actually, um, over the last few years, since having a daughter, I've really enjoyed the conversation that I have on Instagram. It's just, I don't know, it's just the last thing I check these days. Getting old. Yeah, well, that, that's not a bad thing. My, my mornings generally go, uh, I'm hanging out on the couch and I'm either scrolling social feeds in the news or watching Peppa Pig, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but yeah. yeah. Sorry, I wish I had something really exciting to say. No, that's that's fine. That's completely valid. And maybe it's uh, also a little affirming to, to some other anglers who might have uh, let that day slip either. Really, uh, I just wanted to see if you had anything fun planned and if uh, any of our listeners were maybe celebrating it too, just because it, it does sound like a cool day. Uh, I know we connected with a few of our, our uh, folks in Manitoba over it and uh, it was cool to see what they were up to. Some some people were fly fishing uh, some of the rivers here and uh, able to get out and just uh, make a day out of it, I guess. So. Yeah, no, I look, I wish I, there are some, I've got some amazing friends. Some of my best friends are in fly fishing. So I wish <laughs> I was over there hanging out with the girls, but no, right now I'm just looking at the end of October being like, how much longer? How much yeah. longer? But any, is there just a day for everything nowadays? It feels like every day is a day. There's like dog day, mm-hmm. shit day. I don't know what every day, what is today? What is the day of the day? Sunday. Well, I don't know. You tell me. Oh, look, what's the world day? How would you even Google that? What's the world day today? Maybe we've got to create one. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's oh, one. I see. There I see what saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, look, let's look it up real quick. And you may have to edit out any pauses, but let me look up what the world day is today. What's the, what's the day? How would, you, how would you Google that? See what comes up on your Google search and we'll see what comes up on our end here. I'm okay. scared of that, actually. <laughs> let's see. Because I would be dumbfounded. I would be de- genuinely surprised if 365 days a year there was not some sort of designated day. Oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know about 3G. I don't know. All right, I got a list going here already. Ooh. What did you What did you Google to find out the day? The National World Day today. National I, World I Day. I got about five or six of them. I got Grandparents Day. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah, National Video Games Day. Wow. Day of the Homeland for annually. Oh, this is Federal Republic of Germany. Um, National Chocolate <laughs> Milkshake Day. I'm in on that oh, one. Beauty. Yeah. National Pet Memorial Day. Day of the Homeland sounds like a questionable German holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently National Police Woman Day. Uh-huh. And National Report Medicare Fraud Day. Is that a thing? I don't know. Yeah. See, I'm telling you, there's something for everything. 
but I should be up to date on. So there's a so there's a national so there's a Women's Day and there's a Women's Fly Fishing Day. See, that's that's why I have a, a bit of beef with this right now because I I don't think the national report Medicare Fraud Day should have anything to do with National Police Woman Day. Here we go. <laughs> Wow. Yep. Well, now we know. Now we know. Marketing your calendar, folks. Yeah. Wow. I've I've completely sidetracked this conversation. <laughs> I thought we were here oh, to talk so about fly fishing. I feel, I feel so bad whenever I get when I do go online though, and it's like there's a lot of pressure. All these posts, and you feel horrible because you're like, oh, and everyone's watching you, and they expect you to. So I love my fellow angling woman. 365 days a year, mm. ladies. Here you go. Wow. Celebrate that every day. That's a t-shirt if you ask me. Um, And (laughs) so fly fishing wise, like you're obviously no stranger to the landscape, but you you got your start quite, quite young here. You're not a a late bloomer. We'll say like what, what got you into fly fishing back on that faithful day, August 16th, 1996. Was that a real date? I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> because it's close enough, actually. You, you, you did stop me there for a second. Um, adventure. <laughs> adventure. I loved okay. fishing. So I didn't start fly fishing. I started fishing with a bait caster. Well, technically, with a spinning reel. And then the spin outfit and was trout fishing. And was pretty young that then. So I've been fishing as a, you know, as a kid, fished recreationally. But then I was on the Chilliwack and I started fishing pretty serious. Because I, at that point, had my driver's license and was driving. So you're not far. Actually, your dates may almost be bang on. <laughs> I don't know if you meant to do that, but they may almost be bang on. And so I ended up hooking into a salmon with my spin reel. And yeah, so if I'm, we'll do the math. I was born in 83 and I was 16. So whatever year that was. And probably pretty close. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing the math right now. Okay. <laughs> if, if you're waiting on that, been, I'm going to get it wrong. 99, 99, I think you'd be 16. Okay, and it would have been in August because it was the summertime. And so anyway, I hooked into a salmon and it busted up my reel. And so I had to go and get a new one. And I went into Fred's Custom Tackle in Chilliwack and told them what I was looking for. And they said, you need a bait caster. First, you need to learn how to uh, cast it. And I was like, well, first, I need to learn how to afford it. So I was working as a busser, I think, back then. I was, I think, uh, no, I had upgraded to a hostess. I think I was at Earl's hostessing. Do you guys have Earl's over there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) I was a busser who upgraded to hostess and and put all my money into gear and bought myself a, I think at the time, wasn't an Abu. Do you guys fish conventional gear? We do, yep. Cool. So it was a Shimano reel of baitcast, you know, baitcaster of some sorts. I, I really wanted to afford a Calcutta and I just couldn't quite afford it. So I started mm-hmm. with added baitcaster and that was really it. Became totally obsessed with fishing for salmon and then didn't want salmon fishing to end as it does at the end of the year. And I heard rumor of these steelhead that started to push in late December, early January when the salmon run was starting to phase itself out. And that was it. What, what were you um, fishing? Think, what were you trying to catch before you caught the salmon? Trout. Nice. Cutthroat? Yeah. Uh, on the river, on the Chilliwack, they are bull trout and also rainbows. But looking back now, they would have been steelhead. They would have been little steelhead. Right, right. Nice. Yeah, but lots of bull trout. And also pink salmon. You know, I was using my spinning reel setup, spinning setup for pink salmon. Nice. So I don't know what broke me off. 
when because it wouldn't have been a pink it would have been something bigger but yeah ended up getting upgrading into um I went into center pin fishing and then from there decided that it was time to maybe make it a little more challenging I was on the river saw some guys fly fishing and I'd seen it before but not in person you know I'd seen it on posters and maybe being poorly done on a commercial but I'd never actually had the time to sit there and you know for an hour or half an hour absorb what these people were doing and I just remember poking my head in on the lower Chilliwack or the lower river is the Vetter River so the Vetter River and and my my bait caster and we're spinning whatever it was I think at the time anyway I'm fine-tuning too much but it was I think it had my bait caster and I'd seen these guys and just became obsessed with what they were doing and wanted to follow suit and the rest is history hmm. nice see for for me it was watching a river runs through it and then they they poke fun at the bait caster quite a bit and I was like oh man that's that's rude, but uh, at the same time, it, it, was, it was so magical watching uh, Brad Pitt in his shadow cast, which is technically not even a thing, but it was uh, it was pretty fun to watch nonetheless. So, yeah. So you were one of those people on the movie. So I didn't even watch the movie until much yeah. later, and yeah. and I was not even paying attention to the fishing. It was like the actors in the movie, but yeah. So what was it about that movie that did it for you? Because that's always something that's intrigued me. Because for people who don't know, that movie is has been said to be the root of or the main cause of all of the hysteria, you know, the fly fishing boom. Mm. What was it about it that did it for you? If you're asking me personally, I think it was just the it it wasn't divorced from the way the story was told. So I think the book itself and the the way the story was told had a, a certain almost mysticism to it about the way they fish so communicating that effectively and combining it with like just the the visuals of that movie if for anyone who hasn't seen it it's like very like um beautiful storytelling in my estimation and it just seemed like it was magical and something that i wanted to be a part of so like i'd seen fly fishing before and it it, it seemed a little stuffy we'll say but watching that happen in the movie it made it a lot more push me over the edge and now i know that fly fishing isn't old and stuffy it can be exciting and uh vibrant and expensive so or it doesn't have to be expensive yeah it doesn't have to be but it can be and and i'm gonna butt in here for a second um if you haven't picked up on it yet tris and i are actually brothers so that dynamic was actually working there as well in the story yes so chase is brad pitt in the story and i am i'm the 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 more reserved, uh, less risky Robert, Robert brother. Robert Redford. Robert Redford. I don't think what, he, he he wasn't actually in the movie. He directed it. I thought. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't even know. I will take a Robert Redford uh, cameo though, for sure. Yeah. Was he not in the movie? He might have been. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he uh, he directed. Because there are two. I know, and it's been year. I haven't watched it since I was like 21. So it's been it's been a very very it's been almost twenty years since I've seen it and I will be honest I only watched that movie for Brad Pitt, which is probably I remember Brad, <laughs> and I remember a little bit of I remember a little bit of fish. I need to watch it again. That's really bad. That's really bad. Yeah. Did maybe, you, did you read the book first or did you go straight to the movie? I went to the movie then a book. I'm I'm uh-huh. a very ineffective reader sometimes. So but the the movie was compelling enough to uh, to what get me to read the book. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, and looping it back to you here. So you, you were working at Earl's at the time and you were transitioning all these different kind of uh, fishing styles. It, it That feels like a tale oldest time to me as well. Like I can think of times in my youth where basically just grinding to pay for either fishing or hunting gear. And <laughs> I, I wish I could almost go back to that point in my life sometimes and think about how simple it was where your biggest concern was like, what real or what uh you know what the latest and greatest gear that was gonna let you get that extra mile outdoors um man i i can only imagine what it would have been like in bc and having access to all that uh salmon stream and stuff like that yeah no it was really cool i actually miss those days and i think by the time just it's all fun it's all coming back to me while i'm talking right but I remember seeing that Calcutta and I wanted it so bad. And I think it was like 500 bucks or something. And the salmon run was coming quick. The sockeye run was coming and I wanted it because I wanted to be able to toss it. That thing you can just. Yeah. Think of all the salmon you would catch with that. Well, so I busted my ass at work. And at that point I was out of rolls. I was waitressing at that point. So I would have been at like Red Robin or I would have been at the Olive Garden. It was all kind of, I was hopping jobs. And I just remember in the summer working as hard as I could because salmon season was coming and I had to get that wheel before salmon season. And as a young person, it's just such a, it's just so rewarding. And, you know, and then there's all the other things that go into it, right? You know, you're, you're broke. So everything just feels better and you're young and your hormones are going wild. And then there's the smell of summer, which does something to you. And then the excitement of the salmon and you're, you've got your, you're pretty new to get having a driver's license and your freedom. And, you know, you're out in the bush and you're exploring and all of that together. It was just such a special part of my life. I, I genuinely miss it. Mm-hmm. it I of youth. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's almost like this, uh, this bliss to it too. Cause like, I can think back to some of our formative experiences, Chase, where, we were basically just mucking around backcountry lakes with a little tin boat. And those are some of the best fishing experiences that I can recall in my life. When I think about like quintessential fishing that we've done, it's sometimes in those back lakes was minimal gear and just getting stuck, getting lost, getting bit by mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. But heck, did we have fun? Oh, see, uh, you guys had each other, which is really cool too. That creates an entirely different you know, series of memories. So were you kind of going on your own for all this then? Or like, did you have mentors kind of come in and help you out? Or like, what did, what did that look like? Yeah. So the first, first year I was alone and then I ended up running into this man on the river. Well, we kept seeing each other. His name is Dave Puffer. And so Dave Puffer and I kept seeing each other and, and he was substantially older. So I was still in my teens and Dave would have been, he would have been in his looking back now, probably I want to say 60s, but maybe late 50s. To me, he was ancient at the time. <laughs> and he said, you know, it's, it's pretty dangerous. And he's missing teeth and pretty rugged and pretty dangerous out here, you know, alone. And, and you know, I see you out here all the time. If you ever want a buddy, I'll fish with you. And I was just not having it. I mean, weird, right? No, thanks. And, but then, I mean, it did, it made sense. And so I ended up just fishing a run with him a spot we fished together at the same time and it was great and you know he had all of this knowledge and he was fun and he was a fishing buddy and my you know I went home told my parents they were of course really freaked out about this and so they followed me out when I agreed to fish with Dave my parents followed me out to go and and, and watch from afar <laughs> 
And Tim and I are on the lower better, and my parents are at, there used to be this old motel down at this, it's just like a gravel pit now, but there was this old motel. And they sat there and just watched to see what, you know, what happened. And anyway, he became a really good family friend and ended up dating one of my mom's best friends for years. And he was my mentor for sure. And so Dave was where everything changed for me. Now, all of a sudden I had somebody to ask my questions to, because I had just was getting all, I was getting all my knowledge from the library and from Fred's custom tackle. And it wasn't, there wasn't YouTube really. No, (laughs) (laughs) there was internet, I suppose, technically, but. Nobody. But your computer yelled at you when you went on the internet. It like, oh, I didn't have a computer. Oh, no? <laughs> no, 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 there were no computers. I mean, I'm sure people had computers. We didn't have yeah. a computer. And we certainly didn't have the internet. And iPhones, I mean, any sort of smartphone didn't exist. Wi-Fi didn't exist. 3G, none of that stuff existed. And so now suddenly, rather than going to the library or to Fred's, I had Dave, which was just super cool. And so Dave, who used to own a tackle shop, you know, he had all this really cool gear and he had all this old fly tying material. And I had told him that I really wanted to get into fly fishing because I'd seen these guys fly fishing. And so Dave said, well, I've got this old Shakespeare fly rod and you can have it. And so he gave me this old fly rod, this glass rod and some VHS tapes on how to actually cast it. And then um, for my 18th birthday, Dave bought me my first fly tying vice and gave nice. me a box of old feathers and stuff because he tied jigs. And so he said, I know you don't want to tie jigs, but here's this stuff and a VHS tape on how to tie flies. And I'm thinking back now, it was hilarious because I didn't have, my parents didn't have the remote for the VCR. So I had to, every every time I wanted to change, or every time that they would change steps, I'd have to get up to the VCR, rewind it. You know, you had to pause it. You had to do it. Anyway, could go on and on. But yeah, it was just... Um, it was a very slow learning process, but I think that was what made it even more special. And so Dave, we were sitting on the upper Chilliwack and I was telling him I was really bummed out because he was, he was old. And so he was like, look, I don't know if I, I'm going to go for coho next week. It's starting to get, you know, the, the runs are starting to slow down and it's cold. Do you, um, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to stay out until there's not a single coho left. And he said, well, there's this thing called steelhead. Do you know what they are? And I was like, what is a steelhead? That's the coolest name I've ever heard. And he said, you know, they're this, this fish, this rainbow trout that gets huge and they go to the ocean and they come back and they start to come in and, you know, in about a month or so, and they'll be here all the way through the winter months. He said, I don't fish for them personally because they're too hard, but we're too few and far between, but you could do that. And that was it for me. And I was, I was never, the, I remember sitting at the penitentiary at the jail run, sitting there, having this conversation over a thermos of coffee. And I changed that day and was never the same again. That was it. That was, that was, was, a, it. That was a aha moment. That's cool. I want to dive into that in a second, but I also want to ask, have you given the VCRs or the, the tapes another look? Because we got, we got a moose hunt coming up that we've been planning for. And yeah. I found some old calling cassettes down in my basement and I plugged them in for shits and giggles. And like, I mean, a lot of the stuff is dated and not applicable, but some of the wisdom that comes out of those tapes is either lost and not being practiced anymore. It's almost like a archeological find in some ways <laughs> I find, because it's like the, the, these uh, folks who were practicing and putting out content back in the cassette and VCR days, 
they had to live it. They were, they were experts. They were forging the way in so many ways. And there, there's knowledge there that has, you know, either gone by the wayside, but is still like, I, I find very pertinent. So um, it'd be interesting to see what the old fly fishing VCR tapes would, would yield these days. Yeah, I still have them. So I, I should, I just need to find someone who has a VCR. That's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard they're quite expensive now, VCRs, because they're so rare. Um, right? It's like I bought an old Nintendo, and yeah. I'm kicking myself every day for getting rid of my original Nintendo. It's cost me a fortune trying to get all the games. And well, porn. if you're you're ever in Manitoba, we got the SNES going occasionally, and that's that's still got some classics. The the Super Nintendo. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your aha moment was a steelhead run here. And what did your parents think of the, the fly fishing fascination? Were they, were they on board with it or were they kind of like, who's this? They obviously were a little speculative of Dave in the the beginning, but he, they came around, but like, did they, did they raise an eyebrow here? What was happening? Yeah. They raised an eyebrow the whole way through, especially when I came home and told them I was going to do it professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And was dead serious. Yeah. I think they felt like I was a waste of talent. Mom, mom really wanted me to go into marketing, which is ironic. And I think dad wanted me to do anything. You know, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, but we want you to be happy, mm-hmm. but you could be anything. Mm-hmm. But we want you to be happy. Yeah. Well, all I heard was we want you to be happy. <laughs> you're kind of in marketing right now, self-marketing. Yeah, yeah I'm totally, well, yeah, I mean, my business, I work in marketing with my business every, mm-hmm. you know, every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, uh, it, I don't think they were stoked. I know that it, it was just, I was gone all the time. I was constantly putting my life in danger, which was a real problem for my parents. Uh, and then just, I mean, I'm talking, I was gone at Christmas. I'd be there for Christmas day. And then by on the 26th, I was out and I was gone for, well, basically until I ran out of money and had to come back, not to home, but to work. So when you say you're gone at this point and pursuing uh, a profession as um in the fishing industry what uh like what what were you doing at that point were you guiding tv what what were you going after oh tv was no 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 no. um that was that was just a pipe dream no i was waitressing Mm -hmm. and knew that i wanted to guide but to be a guide you have to know what you're doing otherwise you can't take people fishing so i was devoting 100 percent of my day to becoming a better angler and then try explaining that to your parents right Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your life? Well, I'm, I need to become a better angler, but why, they just couldn't wrap their head around their heads mm-hmm. around that. But I, I went to school. I did some programs and did a lot of skipping school to go fishing, but just kind of balanced a little bit of school, um, a ton of fishing, and then working at night, always working at night. What What were you in school for? Was it marketing? No, 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 no. So I went to school for, I was originally going to school for biology. I wanted to be a biologist and then ended up getting a job offer to do something very similar to what I was going to school for and realized quickly I wouldn't be outside. I, I, I thought that as a biologist, I'd be working outside. Oh. Um, and, and look, I, I only lasted like a few classes before I got the job offer. So it didn't, it didn't last long. Uh, and then I went to school for music and I took a, I completed my program there oh. and yeah. have, I had some professors who were also anglers. And so they were very understanding. Uh, but I, but I, I wish I had those professors. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> there were two. There were two. And they were because re- because I was in a program, you know, we had more than one prof for one class. And 
they were very understanding. But I remember having a conversation with a friend at night and day. Do you guys remember night and day? The old night and day no, chain? No, no. Old like 24 hour restaurant. And I remember sitting there before it was around a fishing trip and, and saying, if I was this passionate about music, then, you know, as I am about fishing, then I'd be spending this much time trying to find an excuse to be putting my my life towards music because I was I, my whole day was scheduled around trying to how am I going to go out of work tonight how am I going to get out of work and still be able to pay for that and how am I supposed to, what's my excuse for not going mm. to school today? you know what I mean and I just wanted to stop making excuses and focus solely on fishing because that's all I wanted to do but you need to feed yourself so that was all part of the investment right that if I could just be a guide then I could be out there all the time and feed myself so I I finished my year, my, I was in a, a one-year program. So I finished the program and then never went back. That was that. I went headfirst into the fishing industry. I love it. You, you mentioned that uh, one of your prerequisites was wanting to become a better angler. Did you have a benchmark for what better angler meant? Or was it just kind of like this vision in your head that you wanted to achieve? Well, I knew that I would, I would never be the best angler, right? You always, there's always, I have enough older fishing buddies because not only did I have Dave, but all of his fishing buddies soon became mine. And I knew from them that I would never be, there was always going to be something more to learn. But I needed to know that I had, I really had a, a general, a, a pretty good understanding on the fish behavior and reading water. That was a big thing for me. So I would go through with my spoon and I'd fish through, or I'd go through with a fly first and see if there were fish. And if, there, if I didn't touch a fish, I'd go through again behind myself with a spoon and see what I'd missed. Hmm. And so from there, I was able to learn a lot because you're like, well, why did I catch one on a spoon there and not on the fly there? Is it depth? Is it it presentation? Because that was all, that was all part of the transition, right? So going from fishing bait and then it was like, okay, well now I'm going to start fishing Colorado flame. And then it went into um, fishing spoons. And I really enjoyed this, the spoon aspect. Have you guys fished spoons before? Yeah. I fish yeah. spoons, not for salmon, but, uh, I think Chase has. Yeah. Yeah. I've fished spoons for brook trout and salmon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, there's an art to fishing a spoon properly. It's not just huck it out and go, you need to learn the water. You need to understand currents. You need to understand depths. You need to understand where to let it flutter, where to walk with it, where to dump line, where to put tension on all of those things. And so fishing spoons was really what got me into fly fishing because fishing spoons is very similar to swinging flies for salmon and steelhead, just with hardware. So, um, so I just needed to be, make sure that, that I had a decent understanding of why it worked one way and didn't work the other. And then, yeah, that was kind of my, that was where I'd set the bar. Yeah. And he, and he said your, your life was in danger or maybe metaphorically or allegorically, but like what, was it the bears that were the the concern when you were fishing? What was the? I think back then I would have liked to have you know thought that it was bears and cougars, right? It's <laughs> something exciting, always wondering what's behind you. But no, no, it was it was probably honestly the most dangerous thing that I did was driving without sleeping all the time. Mm. You know, constantly driving without sleeping, constantly driving, and I always sleeping in my car on the side of the road um just really being very very careless mm. you know driving driving down roads that i ended up you know for the first few years i had a 1983 buick skylark which was a beast but then 
ended up buying um, an, an Acura Integra, right? Like a 90, 1996 Acura Integra. And I thought that thing was a truck. I just took it down all the four by four. Oh, yeah. Anyway, doing stupid things like that, right? Almost flipping my car. But back then, I probably would have liked to have assumed it was bears and cougars. Rock and roll. I, I remember lots of times when I was younger, just thinking back about some of the stuff we did as well, being like, that wasn't so smart. No. Being unsupervised, yeah, yeah, and, and like not and not having any way to bail yourself out, right? I used to take my Integra down this side road on the Thompsons. On the Thompson, there, there's there are two roads. You've got the main highway, and then you've got this side back road. And back then, they, they there was this rumor that there was this native guy, and that he'd like shoot at you if you went past him. So it kept people out off this back road. So nobody went back there, and. I discovered this road and, you know, being young and stupid, like, I don't care if someone's shooting at me, even though there was nobody there. I, I didn't know that. And took this, my car down this back road or like mountain and fell off, uh, not a cliff, but like a seriously steep drop, like 20 some odd drop wow. and landed with a thump and landed beside a pile of dead bare bones. I, I think it had been hit by a train, but looking back now, <laughs> What, what, what would have, so you, you have no phone. There's no service. Even if there was a phone, what do you do? No. And I'm alone. Nobody knows where I am. I didn't tell a soul where I was. So just stuff like that. But you didn't think, I didn't think about that at the time. To me, it was just bears and cougars and wolves. Oh my. But looking back now, when I say put my life in danger, I mean, doing really thoughtless. Mm -hmm. like Being young and not, not thinking out ahead what the full consequences could be for a situation oh yeah nothing would kill me are you kidding yeah, yeah. i ended up falling down that ravine i thought i broke my arm i took my wading belt off made a sling and just went fishing anyway oh my goodness <laughs> looking back now i would have been first at the doctor being like oh, yeah. well you you did clue me into one tip here maybe that i'll use in maybe some of my duck hunting campaigns too is like starting to create rumors for certain marshes that like maybe old bobby mcgee will uh will blast you with the shotgun if you go down into to that low water marsh over there where all the ducks are piling in it works get the rumors okay, flying so that's a real pro tip there you heard it here first folks on the panoramic outdoors podcast <laughs> start start rumors uh and so guiding was obviously your your first step into the the pro fishing world then you're saying and uh well what, i was working at a tackle shop first Okay. Just to pay for gear because I got a huh. discount. And yeah. So I wait, I waitressed at that point. I think I was at the casino or it was just transitioning from Olive Garden to the casino somewhere in there. And then, um, cause I liked the casino hours cause I could work. See at the Olive Garden, you still have to start at four 30, which was just way too hard to get off the water in the summertime. Mm -hmm. But at the casino, I could start at 10 PM. Did Olive Garden chew you out ever for showing up oh, late? I was always in trouble, but you get you get a certain amount of write-ups per camera <laughs> how often. And so I would just make sure that I was a, I used up my write-ups as necessary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I was constantly giving shifts away. I was not, I was, I was not, you didn't, did not want to hire me back then. I was very unreliable and never out of excuses or something to have happened. <laughs> you you um, were just waiting for the right career. That's what was happening. Well, to me, the Olive Garden was, and, and the casino really were just helping me support my career. Mm -hmm. right? Fishing was my career. It was just and a vehicle. I, 
waitressing jobs are a dime a dozen. I mean, I would just go somewhere else. So it was no stress if they wanted to let me go. But that's my, that's another pro tip. Understand how many write-ups you have per quarter or whatever it is, and then just use them to their max. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness though, yeah. It, um, so what was, where were we going with this? So, oh, guiding. So I, I wanted to pay for my gear. And so I was offered a position at a, a tackle shop and just to work, you know, one, a casual, maybe a weekend day here, day there. And that was where I started. And then it's all kind of trying to remember it all. I had run into a guy who owned a guiding operation and he said, oh yeah, you're the girl from the tackle shop. Um, do you want a guide for me? And I said, well, what do you, don't you just do sturgeon trips and I don't have a boat or anything. And he said, well, no, we do salmon and sturgeon and we've got a boat for you to use. I said, well, I don't want to floss for sockeye. Can I just do maybe some other salmon trips and maybe some steelhead trips and sturgeon? And he said, yeah. And so he hired me and that's where I started. I started guiding for somebody else before I broke free and started my own company. That's good grounds, Oak, because you really, I guess, learn a lot more about the industry and um, you were obviously very involved in, in the learning aspect on your own, but um, definitely put some more fuel in the fire and allows you to kind of almost make a few more mistakes or just, and learn from a few more people. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough because I was young and stupid as we are in our early twenties. <laughs> and it was right at the time when we were starting to get a little, like we were starting to get Facebook and all of these things were starting to happen. So you did have a lot of attention. You couldn't really do anything stupid. I mean, I did anyway, but it would end up on the internet. But it was so, the internet was so new that you didn't understand the repercussions of that. So that is a very interesting time that a lot of people now might not remember or might not, you know, depending on how old they are, might not understand. But I don't, I remember being like, well, just put this picture up. Who cares? Because I had no idea that that meant it was going to be up forever. Mm-hmm. And, and looking back now, that was a real tough learning lesson, but and lots of eyes on you. And suddenly they're talking about it really easily with themselves. They could SMS, right. They could text each other. And so it was a, it was a tough time to have a lot of eyes on you and being the only woman in the area guiding there were just, and I was, cause I was waitressing and I was platinum blonde and, you know, I was a cocktail waitress. So I had, and because I was fishing bait for salmon and steel at all the time, my nails were disgusting. So I had fake nails to hide the bait because you can do that with fake nails guys don't know this, but fake nails, all they do is cover up your real natural, disgusting nails. So you can fish bait and nobody used to look like you have manicured hands. Huh. And so, and because that was part of my dress code, you had to have presentable hands. I couldn't be going to work looking like I did when I was fishing. So, you know, now suddenly I'm guiding with platinum blonde hair, because to be honest, it made me more money at the casino, you know, waitressing, I made more money as a blonde. So I got platinum blonde hair, crazy fake nails. And my first year of guiding, my truck ends up having an accident and the guy who runs that, it was like Craftsman Collision in Chilliwack, gave me their loaner vehicle, which was a Hummer. <laughs> so <laughs> now it's my first year of guiding and you know, you're making silly mistakes like backing the trailer up and all these fun things. And everybody's staring at this platinum blonde, only female guide guiding out of a Hummer. So it was, it was, it was a very, yes, there were probably people to learn from, but there were a lot more people to be worried about and and that my reputation was constant I was constantly being you know I was a target constantly and self-inflicted for sure but but Mm -hmm. I was the target for sure what what area 
sorry, can I just clarify what area of BC were you were you guiding? Yeah, this? so on the on the Fraser River, and okay. I was and I was running a you know my my boss's jet boat, and I was a horrible sturgeon guide, really not a great, just not a great sturgeon guide. It's not I'm not a great boatsman, or I wasn't right. then, uh, and I wasn't a great sturgeon guide. So, yeah, I wish that I could have probably made mistakes a little less with a little less profile. Yeah. But what was interesting was it was at the time when Facebook was starting to pick up and now we can reach people on the other side of the planet. And so what happened was my boss um, had said, look, we're going to introduce this thing called commissions, right? Because now everyone's like, oh yeah, affiliate commissions. But back then it was a really big deal. If you brought in your own clients, you got a 10% commission. Well, that was really exciting to me because the thing is, is most outfitters know, look, the, the biggest worry that you have with an outfitter is that you're going to train your guys, give them your spots, give them your, you know, their reputation, and then they're going to print their own business cards, take all your clients and start their own business because mm-hmm. that's what happens 95% of the time. So my boss, very smart guy, uh, decides well, I'm going to get rid of that and give all my guys and gal their commission, their 10% commission. But the problem was that now with Facebook and my image spreading, People wanted to book with this girl that they were hearing of, this April girl, but they were hearing about it on Facebook. They were hearing about seeing about it on a magazine that I'd written for, and I wasn't getting any commission. So I was booked out, but I wasn't making any extra money off of it. And greed or entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, I mean, take your pick, but I wanted to, if people were going to make money off of me, I wanted to make money off myself. And so I started my own. So so they were all booking through... Um, either an agent or directly through the outfitter, not coming through you to get your Yeah, right. Because I didn't have a website or anything at the time, right? It's mm-hmm. like, who is this? You know, I saw this girl. Where do I go? And they'd go direct to him. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was, you know, I would never really enjoyed, I never have enjoyed working for other people. So it was just a natural progression, a natural transition into starting my own company. You, you really had a unique experience in a lot of ways um, guiding on the Fraser River and not only just being under, the microscope you had kind of a double-edged sword working for you so you're under the microscope in a lot of ways but you also had a very marketable and um for a variety of reasons i'm sure approachable um presentation to fishing so like it it seemed like it seems like this it was like this uh pros and cons to being the 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 first uh woman guide maybe in in that industry or you know at that time yeah yeah, because yeah, yeah. there were other female guys, but just not in, in that area. Yeah. You know, looking back now, it would have been nice to have had it be a fishery that I was good at. Because, <laughs> mm. you know, there I'm sure there are a handful of clients out there who are like, oh, I went sturgeon fishing with her. She didn't know what she was doing. I mean, I knew what I was doing, but I wasn't the best sturgeon guide. And we right. would often do, I don't know if you've done one of those trips on the Fraser, but we would do half sturgeon, half salmon days. And I loved the salmon, the fly fishing for salmon side of things. And so, you know, enough days, after you get enough days under your belt and you dread half of them and you love the other half, you quickly know what you want to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing if you were maybe a, a male guide at the time, you might not have been under the microscope for your, your sturgeon fishing skills at the at that point not, as much. Yeah, not to the extent that I was. By, and, and, you know, and nobody felt bad about it because they're like, well, she's blonde and wearing makeup and nails and in a Hummer, she must want the attention. And it's like, no, I want the tips and my other job. 
Yeah. Can you just look that way for a second while I'm doing my job? Just look that way while I'm trying to get the boat in the water. Right. Yeah. So very pragmatic reasons for all the other stuff that was kind of going on in your life. And really it was just there to fuel your passion for how do I get on the water one more day that year kind of scenario. Yeah. And you know, you're young, you lack common sense. You think that you can get by with gas fumes or you wake up late. I don't have time to, you know, do this maintenance or what you just, or the problems of someone in their early twenties. So what was the, the name of the, the April Volke guiding service? What was the, was that it? No, no, no. <laughs> it was Flygal. Flygal. So I started I started Flygal in 2007. So it, what had happened was I was actually a, a sales rep for Bossler Reels, which is a real company in Germany, and needed to have a, you know, company for write-offs, you know, for work, for expenses. And so my license plate at the time, my custom, my vanity license plate was Flygal. And so I started... I just named the company Fly Gal. And then from there at the casinos, a lot of the gals wanted me to take them fishing. And it just kind of happened organically from there. It just, I really enjoyed being on the river with them, not with a boat, you know, walking, waiting for steelhead, making it more of an experience. Cause that was the other thing I remember. I remember I used to pack a grill in my boat when I was guiding for this other outfitter. And I would make the guys and gals or whomever I had in the boat, I would make them their shore lunch. And I remember the guides complaining to my boss that it was an unfair advantage because people wanted to go with me because they knew that I made this awesome shore lunch. <laughs> but I just wanted to give my customer the best experience. And that was all part of it for me being like, I, I'm going to have to go do my own thing. Um, and so, and that's what I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed walking and waiting and having it be about the experience and, you know, doing wild things, not just about catching fish. And so that was what Fly Gal was when it started. Yeah. Back up for a second. Those other guys weren't doing shore lunches with their clients. No, what? No, no. Well, what they would do is they had their bag lunches. So everybody, the outfitter had you know this this family do bag lunches every morning to pick up mm-hmm. bag lunches. But it was like cheese on sandwiches and ham and stuff. So I would take out my my hot plate mm-hmm. and I you know grill the cheese and melt the butter and grill the ham and pack some other goodies and and yeah. Yeah. Nice. If you're not a great surgeon guide, you got to do something for an advantage. Nice hot lunch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that was all part of a fly gal. And so fly gal went on for quite a while, and um, I think it was just a couple months ago actually I rerouted fly gal to my new to my new company. I feel like you'd fit in well at Deer Camp with that kind of uh, ingenuity and uh, go get it attitude. I love it. I will say I've done well in every hunting camp. For some reason, I don't have the same. Maybe it's because I'm not in the hunting industry, you know, quote unquote industry. But yeah, no, it's been it's a different vibe for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And so obviously it didn't stop at Fly Gal. You, you've already hinted at it. You've got multiple. I'm looking at the the CV here. Uh, you've got Anchored Outdoors. You've been tapped into Meat Eater, um, your own streaming service, Shorelines, which features like just a very in-depth uh, storytelling. Um, where's, it seems like the sky's the limit in some ways um, for you, like, uh, it, and it seemed, did it snowball or like, what was the, what was the cumulative effect here? Cause you're, you're essentially a media mongo right now. If I don't, if I, uh, I well, there's, there's different versions of media, right? So I, I don't think, I don't think Steve, uh, I don't know if you know the Ranella guy, but I don't think he's doing his own social media all the time either. So 
Yeah, no, they Steve does not do his own. Well, Steve, I think Steve does his own personal Steve and Ranella, but Meat Eater has a social person. Um, so look, it was, I, I live, my life is a series of pivots. And so it was, it was fly gal. And then I always knew I was only going to guide for 10 years. So by the, by year nine, I was looking at year 10, wondering what I was going to do at year nine. I had signed to do Shorelines, which is a television series. Is, is that when the lease on the Hummer expired or why 10 years? Oh, it would have been, oh, it would have been, wait, no, the, the, it wasn't a Hummer lease. I would have leased something else. It was a, they were just lending it to me. That was, a, that was year one. So this yeah. is, you know, years later, smart ass. And so those, and those little Hummer, it was like one of those newer Hummers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all blind spots. You can't see anything whenever you turn around. They're a horrible yeah. thing tell boat with but anyway um so why 10 years because i knew that i didn't want to be guiding i didn't want to be a 60 year old guide and there are a number of reasons why i say that one my body i knew couldn't handle it i'd had a really bad car accident in 2008 and i knew that my body couldn't handle it um two i'm just way too my brain moves too fast and that's probably the same way I probably speak too fast. You know, I need to slow everything down. And when I was on the river, it was at the point where I couldn't escape my brain. And I just had too many ideas that I couldn't sit still, or, you know. So um, I just knew that I needed to have the freedom to dive into business elsewhere. And so I gave myself 10 years. And so in year nine, I um, filmed and produced and wrote and filmed a television series but what happened in that television series was that I was hearing stories from people that I really admire and respect. But because, and, and television is a totally different beast. It's not at all what you think it is. I mean, anyone who's worked in television knows it's just, it's a whole facade. But I didn't like that my interviews were being left on the cutting floor, you know, on the edit, they were, they were being edited out because you can only, you can't fit a two hour long interview into a 24 and a half minute or 23 and a half minute series, uh, episode. So I wanted to start a podcast. And so that's what I decided I was going to do. So uh, I decided I was going to finish my last year of guiding and I was going to dive into podcasting, not to make money. I didn't know what I was going to do to make money at the time. Um, I think I hadn't really thought about that. What was I going to do for money? Because to make money in the fishing industry, you have to have your fingers in a bunch of pots. So I was guiding, teaching, speaking, writing, time flies, doing merchandise, media. That's right. So it was, it was all of that happening at once. I knew I was going to start podcasting for a little bit of sponsorship money. I was going to do a lot more speaking, way more teaching. And it was at the time where they were starting to pay a little bit for media. And so that was kind of how that all started. Uh, but yeah, the podcast was never supposed to be the beast that it is today. And, and like quite a prolific podcast too. Um, I'm wondering, did you, are there any guests that pop out for you, like in your, your whole journey here? Like, is there is there one or two? And you don't have to say our podcast; we won't take it personally. But um, what any anyone that you can think of that like really stands out, and the, the the plethora of guests that you've had kind of come through. So, people I've interviewed that stand out. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, quite a few. They're almost all of them. I learned something from almost all of my guests. But the ones that really stick out for me are all substantially older guests. You know, people who survived concentration camps and people who have just seen things that we could never even begin to imagine. So um, Ted Ted Jurisic stands out to me. Fanny Krieger stands out to me. These are people who have just, 
there's there, there's no way to not be humbled after hearing the stories from these people. You know, Frank Moore, and I interviewed him beside his wife, which at first I didn't know what to think that this man was is in his 90s. And I'm, I, at the time, I never, <laughs> excuse me, interviewed somebody sitting beside their partner. I didn't know if it would change the dynamic, but I left that interview. I don't even remember what we spoke about in the interview. I just know that I left that interview thinking, I want to be that, I want to be like them when I grow up. And I want to be that, that sort of wife. And that's, you know, I want that kind of husband. And wow. You just leave a very different person after interviewing these people who have so many more years of experience than you do. Mm-hmm. It's interesting with the, with the podcasting um, platform. And I, I know we've talked about this before on our podcast, just you're, you're right um, in the sense that it allows you to dive deeper into topics, but also the topics that bring us together being in the outdoors, being, uh, you know, participating in the outdoors. Uh, those are great to talk about, but the, it sounds like some of the the life experience that you, you've shared through your podcast is really what, what stands out far and above, you know, what just uh, a flying time technique might be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of the times I leave these interviews feeling like I've been kicked in the gut. You know, it might be a really difficult story. I've, I've had there was a time there where like 30% of my guests would cry on the show and, and, you know, men and women, mostly men. And I would leave feeling really, really beat up because it's just, it was almost not a counseling session, but like two friends just being, mm-hmm. and you know, the beauty, I've said this before to a friend of mine, the other day, a podcaster, podcasting friend of mine the other day, the beauty is in the silence and just, but it's hard, right. As a, you, the humane side of you wants to speak up to stop that, you know, to, to be there for them because you don't want them to say something maybe they shouldn't, but then, but then the friend of, you know, the friend in you knows that they need to say what they want. They, they, they need to say what they want to say. So you just stay quiet. So a lot of the, the listener can't, doesn't really know what's going on because it's silent. But for me in those moments, there were big things happening. And so I, I always leave emotionally drained after those interviews the, oh, with old, with older people for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm uh, yeah, I'm almost at a loss too. That's, that's really cool to hear. And um, it's really telling of just how much experience and passion you have with your project, with your, with your career and how you're able to connect that to your humanity. That's uh that's quite remarkable. Uh, well, older older and, people stand out. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe Chase, we need to really like look at the, uh, uh, for some podcast guests and actually you, you might be really onto that. Cause I think our, our most popular podcast was one of our first ones with, uh, a gentleman named Dr. Vince Creighton. And, uh, he, uh, he's, he's left us, but, uh, he spoke about moose biology with such passion and, uh, commitment and insight that it uh that that podcast just seems to stand out mm-hmm. out of our entire library so um do you know what i think it is and i think you just hit i think i think it's just this is gonna be the first time i've ever tried to explain this in words so it might be messy but it's almost as though when i'm interviewing somebody my age or one of my peers that we're sharing you know we're sharing but there's a lot of this is what i'm up to this this is what my goals are this is where i'm at right now but with my older guests, they are sharing, but they're sharing to almost help me and help the listener and help guide. 
so that we don't make the same mistakes or do make the same successes. And I just think that there's, I mean, it, that is proper storytelling and storytelling, you know, stood the test of time. But I think that's why it's so, e so easy to engage with them or why, why those episodes in particular are so engaging is that they are truly there sharing, not to tell you how great they are, they're there to guide you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you have to be a complete knob to not see the beauty in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll be perfectly candid. Uh, Vince was a f former and uh, retired government employee, so he didn't give two farts about uh, any kind of pretension about what he was sharing. It was uh, straight troop bombs coming out of uh, Vince's mouth every left, right, and uh, center kind of laney pick. So, yeah, that, that that again, just another very spot on observation. Um, where where like because we're in the media game too, and it it it's almost. Um, it can be overwhelming sometimes when you think about like the, the, all the possible options for content and engagement and um, uh, ways to interact with folks. And where do you, where do you take the podcast next? Where do you take your, your, your show next? But you, you've managed to tap into, uh, and uh, we're kind of in the same game in some ways too, um, like a, a widespread of activities. Has that been like a real like defining feature you feel or like very helpful in your, your game here? Or is that, you know, something that you kind of grew out of necessity? How, where did that come in? I mean, as far as branching out uh, hunting, homesteading, foraging? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I could have prefaced that a little short. No, that's okay. Um, look, I mean, I just want to interview people I find interesting. And, and a lot of those people do things besides just fishing. But you know, I still, I still would say I'm coming back. So what I did with the podcast was turned it into Anchored Outdoors. So Anchored po the Anchored Podcast has turned into Anchored Outdoors, the membership site. And what was missing with the audio series was obviously video. And so that is what Anchored Outdoors is, is it really helps. Um, it's an educational platform. And so where I've pivoted again is our masterclasses are all encompassing. So our masterclasses are everything from high tanning, to foraging, to bamboo rod building, and will forever stay that way. But the membership itself, if you want to do it right, it's too hard to do all of those things, you know, 100%. So the membership itself has been, has pivoted into solely fly fishing, A to Z fly fishing. We know it, listen to members, you survey members enough, you know what they want. So the masterclasses still cover a lot of those subjects in great, great depth. You know, we just published our butchery class, venison butchery. And, and so that's where we can, where members can find that content. But with a membership site, you really, and this is, you know, you, you learn these things as you go, but it's a results driven platform, right? If you are, if you're in a, in a membership for a lot of, of reasons, you, you know, one of the reasons anyway, about that you join a membership, like going to the gym, for example, is you want to see that you have a nicer body at the end of it all. Well, with the fly fishing membership, you want to become a better angler. And so that's what we've done is we've started it from never having held a fly rod to here are industry tricks that even industry people don't know about. So it's a work in progress. We're just about to launch our latest. This is why I'm stumbling because it's not technically live yet. So I don't want people signing up and being confused, mm -hmm. um, but we're just about to launch a brand new membership, um, which is really exciting. And I'm very, very proud of it. I want to ask you about the memberships in a second here, but I, I had to ask because I was I was scrolling, I was creeping your, your social media leaning into this. And uh, did you get in trouble for tanning your hide indoors or scraping your hide indoors? I, I, 
I saw that that might have been a point of contention, but you're also scraping it right next to your your child. So I was like, hey, that that that's parenting, if you ask me. So I don't <laughs> I don't know what the conflict is there. You were scrolling, all right. Um, okay, so two things about the high tannin. So I'm obsessed with tannin hides, fish skin, and and you know animal hides, which is why if you go to our master classes, you're like, whoa, this girl's really into this because we've got high tanning, pelt tanning, fish skin tanning, just obsessed with tanning. So the, the post that you're talking about, I was tanning my hide in my, not my hide, a uh, deer hide in my cabin, which was fine. Um, my husband wasn't there for, you know, he's not into this sort of stuff. So he just thinks I'm a freak, but um, he was <laughs> gone for a few months. So I was doing everything indoors because it was, it was frozen. I mean, it's the middle of winter in Northern British Columbia. But then after Christmas, we went to hide at Gwaii for a, for a steel hedger and Haida Gwaii is an, you know, it's on, it's an island. And so it's super coastal and quite warm. And I, because you take a ferry there, I had taken my hide, which at the time was soaking in wood ash, which helps to let the hair fall out. And so I was soaking in the back of my truck, take it over the ferry into our, uh, people are going to think I'm such an inconsiderate dick, but I will, since you've asked, I will share to our Airbnb. <laughs> so, and look, usually I'm really considerate and I was being considerate, but we were staying at a place in the middle of nowhere and I didn't tan it indoors. I'm not, you know, that rude, but I was scraping. So I was, all the hair had fallen off. I'd hosed it all off, getting all my wood ash off. And now it was time to start graining. And so I'm doing all of this outside this guy's house. And I thought that I had cleaned it all up, but apparently I, you know, when you're tired and it's dark, you leave behind clumps of hair. And somehow this man knew about tanning hides and he totally called us out on our reviews. Like, and whoever was, you know, he was talking to my husband, he didn't know it was me, but my husband ended up like in like one star review. And, and the guy wrote, you know, they were tanning hides and how did he know? Like, how did he know? And he, he clearly was into it himself because he knew exactly what was going on. Damn it. Um, but yes, I did get in trouble uh, from my husband primarily. And I've since learned my lesson to now hide it in my shed downstairs. That's funny. So do you book all the Airbnbs under your name now? Or how's that work? We've had to switch to stays. <laughs> <laughs> true story. True story. Uh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. And yeah. so circling back to the, the, the membership and the, really diving deep uh revisiting the deep dive into to fly fishing there must be just like this really cool community that started to to emerge around uh you know the the whole uh membership driven fly fishing content i would imagine yeah it's been really really cool but i think that's why it was so hard for me to shift the membership itself to just fly fishing because if you look at our private facebook group they they're sharing all sorts of things that have nothing to do with fishing. So that was why. So we've got two different levels of membership, just for people who might be confused. We've got just the standard premium membership, which is fly fishing specific. But once a year for one week only, I open the doors to what we call our all-inclusive membership. And that includes the premium membership, but all of our master classes. We've got over 20 master classes, which I'm very proud of. I love our master classes. And so, you know, a significant amount of our members have got access to those master classes. So it's very cool for them to enter as a fly fisher and then take a random class because it's there. You know, they take a, what's one of the random ones? Um, 
outdoor photography class with Brian Gregson. And all of a sudden, you know, they thought they were there for fly fishing. And now they're obsessed with taking pictures. So it's, yeah, the community element is so cool. And watching them be like, hey, I'm in, you know, Salt Lake. Anyone else around that wants to go fishing? That's, yeah. It's funny because I'm not even a part of it anymore. Like, I'm just the person who, I'm just the administrator. But the community, <laughs> it's a whole own thing. Yeah, they're great. I love, I love them. That's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. And outdoor photography is no joke, by the way, too. I, I've got a setter here who I've just tried taking pictures of running through the field. And Matt, try to take a picture of a, a dog running through a field with a 200 millimeter lens and not having blur and like getting your shutter speed. Oh, man, I've, maybe maybe I need to be signing up for the master class here because uh, it uh, all I've got is a bunch of blurry pictures of my setter right now. <laughs> It's crazy, but you know, it's, but it's just cool. Like we've got people who had never, ever even thought about making a bamboo rod. I've got, I had one guy who had messaged me, it started on Instagram and direct message. And he was like, I'm retiring. I don't know what to do with myself. It was right as COVID was taking off. And he was like, I, I think I want to do this bamboo course. Is it for me? And we had a bit of an exchange, you know, he took a chance, he signed up and now he's on his like third or fourth bamboo rod. Wow. And they're wow. beautiful. And he messages me every few months be like, I cannot thank you enough for, you know, getting me into this. I'm so happy. And this is what I want to be doing. And just watching people who have never tanned a hide, never built a rod and they're sending over their work is really inspiring. We had one guy who made this, he'd like never tanned hides before. He made this amazing real case out of buckskin and salmon leather that he'd made. And that's yeah. going to be super fulfilling. It's for yourself cool. watching it happen. Um, I, I'm kind of curious here too. Um, is there any part of the fill our listeners in? Is there anything on the website there that you have to offer that they can kind of get in there and get a little teaser of kind of what you guys have to offer? Yeah, for sure. So if you go to anchoredoutdoors.com, there's a pop-up and it offers a free class. Now it's not one of our full length, awesome, incredible, unbelievable masterclasses like rod building, but it's the Justin Duggan masterclass. And it just offers, um, hints and, you know, tips and tricks on the water. You're guaranteed to learn something guaranteed to become better if you apply what he tells you. So there's that. And then that gets you in the door that gets you in the door to at least see what the, what the format is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's free. It's free. Nice. Awesome. I've got bamboo rod question. Um, do you fish with, bamboo like frequently april and can can you clarify what the the significance of a bamboo rod is like both like within the the practice of fly fishing and what's what's unique about fishing with a with a bamboo rod well historically i mean that's how they did fish so there's that aspect there a lot of us just like to feel connected like they were back in the day i personally like to have a i like to fish with a bamboo rod because it's a little slower a lot slower so i don't know if people know this but fly rods are broken down into actions right so you've got if you wanted to just keep it layman's terms you've got fast medium slow how can you tell well you take your rod you put it against the ceiling don't do this in your house but just trust me with what i'm saying if the first 30 percent of the rod bends that's a fast action rod so it's going to be a faster stroke faster delivery you want something like that when you're you know bone fishing and it's windy and you need to switch directions fast you bend it on the ceiling the first 60 percent bends you've got a mid flex rod and that's great for, for people who want to really get a good feel for casting. Then you've got the noodles and the slow rods. You bend them against the ceiling, 90% of them flex. 
So that is a slow action rod, right? And so that rod there is going to require a much slower casting stroke. And for those of us who like to dork out on casting and just be slow and relaxed, that's the way. I mean, even just talking about it makes me relax. So it's just a slower, slower presentation. I can see you're going to your happy place there now. Our listeners might not be able to see it visually, but I can see it, like <laughs> your shoulders dropping and <laughs> and uh, yeah. I love I love them and they're beautiful. And you know, for me, I have a couple Bob Clay rods. Who, who Bob is who I hired actually to do our bamboo rod building masterclass because I just respect and admire him so much. And when I hold that rod, just knowing, especially after seeing his class, knowing what went into it. And that while he was there making it, he was thinking about the hands it was going to be in. And, you know, it's art. It's art. But there are, there, and then, you know, if you want to get, if, for the practical people who are like, yeah, but what does it do for fishing? Well, you know, for a lot of trout streams, if you are fishing a fast action rod and you set too soon on your, on the fly, on the fish tapes, you'll snap your leader. But if you have a slower tip or a slower action rod, you're less likely to break your fish off. So there are practical reasons as well. Yeah. And we, we have some friends who like traditional bow hunt too. And like, I mean, maybe they get the odd question on why they're doing it, but like for, I think for most people, it's pretty obvious what's going on, which is they're really just connecting to, to our history and maybe wanting to pursue something a little different than what a compound or a crossbow or a rifle would do. So yeah, that, that sounds really amazing. Um, being a former fly rod employee that you are, or a fly, uh, fishing store employee that you are, what does the the roof of a fishing store look like if if everyone's pressing rods up <laughs> they against? They don't do that. They don't do that. But okay. what they will do, you know, you'll have a guy, and you know, or he, I know I used to say, okay, hold your hand here, and they hold their hand, and I pull it put it up against the tip up against their hand. But usually, what a good fly shop will do is they'll take you outside in the backyard and let you cast it. Ah, uh, that's, yeah. that's what you want to look for, yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds great. That's how, that's the mark of a good tackle shop. Awesome. And so there are great tackle shops that don't have the room, but if they have the room. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of recapped or taken a look here at this, your journey through and acceleration into the, into the fishing world, this amazing kind of like media career you managed to carve out and also a community that you've essentially built around your passion, which is fly fishing it sounds like just this really like awesome bouquet of um, positive experiences that you've been able to curate here. But I mean, that, that that's most of the story, but it's not all the story. Uh, you're rejoining us here on the podcast, uh, partly to share, you know, another part of that story, which is like kind of the darker side of, of the internet in some ways, I, I would say, like, can you kind of take us through what some of that negative experience has been for you as a, you know, like a female angler or a female guide, female um, media creator. Is that fair to, fair to say? Yeah, I feel bad when I had, had spoke to you guys some time back, you know, I'd alluded to, to some, uh, you know, just some of the truths about what it was like. Cause you know, you talk about your journey, you know, not everything's peaches and, you know, butterflies mm-hmm. and roses. And then we opted to, to wait till we were here. So, you know, I go back and forth, on it because there's one side of me that's like, oh, everyone's already heard my story about being a woman. You know, let's move beyond being a woman in the sport. But then, you know, I get emails from other women who are like, I'm going through this really hard time right now with my stage in the industry. What do you, 
what is your advice? And so I don't want to hide my past or, you know, just skip over it and assume everyone's heard it Mm -hmm. because then it's not fair to that one person listening to who could really want to hear it. So, I mean, this could go, we could take this down. We could write a book about this. So where do you want to start? Well, and you know what, I'll be, I'll be completely candid on my end too. When, when Chase has shared some of that information with me, I hadn't heard about it either. So I, I'm relatively in the dark myself, but I could take a guess at where it's all headed, but it, it, it all sounds rather, um, how would I put it? I'm not surprised, but I, it's, it's discouraging to hear that other anglers would treat someone in that fashion. So what what exactly like how what happened and how did you hear about it so it was the perfect storm back then you need to remember so remember what i told you i look like mm-hmm. you know and i was i was i am I, I don't like like the saying girly girl but i'm a feminine woman you know and i'm not going to and i have yeah i have machoed myself up when i do events and stuff so as not to draw attention to that but at the end of the day, I, and as a, as a mother of a daughter, I definitely embrace the fact that I am a feminine woman. And you know, I didn't really until I had a daughter. And I mean, she's three years old. She came out like that. She's the girliest girl I've ever seen. I was like, she's not, I'm not gonna have my daughter wear pink. We're not doing frilly dresses. That's all the kid wants. She's a princess. She wants to live in that stuff. She wants to wear a princess dress and shoot arrows mm-hmm. and, you know, wear shiny unicorn boots and go fishing. And mm-hmm. who am I and who is anybody to take that away from somebody if that's who they are? That's who I was. And, you know, it was a perfect storm of me being a feminine woman in an industry where there weren't very many women and certainly not very many women who looked like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and I mean, look, I'm sure they were there, but we couldn't find each other. The internet wasn't there for us to find each other. But the big hard hitter here is that the internet comes into our lives and social media happens. So now, you know, you've got this perfect, like I said, this perfect storm happening. And, you know, you think Facebook's mean now. You should have seen Facebook when it first started. People were horrible. And, you know, because it was before screenshots and before sharing and before people really, you know, stuck up for you or before people had just had enough and finally spoke up in defense of the person. So there was a lot of bullying that went on um, and assumptions, you know, and, and like I said, a lot of it was self-inflicted, but at the end of the day, you know, was it looking back now, was it self-inflicted? Was I a bit of a shit? Yeah. I mean, I have a big mouth. I have a hard time letting people step all over me, but is that wrong? And was it self-inflicted that I was a blonde with fake nails? I mean, was it really worth the bullying and you know i'd said to chase before and we left this off when we spoke last time and we'll include it here now i when i started fly gal i had my website hacked and whoever hacked my website replaced it with a dead and murdered doll you know the comments i had to shut comments off they were just so hateful and it would have nothing to do with it wasn't even a post about me it would just be a post about me guiding um the internet forums were were absolutely out of control. They were, I, I met, and you know, I'll, I'll choose my words wisely here, but they, and Chase, you'd handled this so well when I mentioned it before, um, off the record, they, to fill you in, had decided that they were going to have a competition on one of the forums about, you know, certain parts of my anatomy. 
And they were going to tie a fly to basically imitate that part of me. And, and just some of the things that were being posted were just so horrible. And so you would never do that to someone's child. You know, and I had a really good friend who, who got on one of the forums and shut it all down for this particular anatomy fly tying post. But there was just no, at the time, there was no one else to target. There were no other women on social media doing the self-promotion I was doing. And when I say self-promotion, I think people might be thinking it was a lot worse than it was. I mean, by self-promotion, I mean me posting a picture of me holding a steelhead mm-hmm. in a pink cardigan because it was a warm you know, REI cardigan that just happened to be pink. And that drove people mental. The fact that I had mascara on, I was posting a picture of myself and my clothing was pink. That drove people absolutely mental. And so the bullying was, and there was just, yeah, bullying was, was running rampant because there was nobody else doing it. So it was easy to target on, you know, target fixation. It's different now there for a bully, there are 10 million options you could choose, I can think of 20 different influencers for a bully to pick on. But back then it was really nasty because every one of those bullies finally had a voice and didn't have to think, didn't mm-hmm. think there were repercussions. They were on their computer. Yeah. At the time on their computer, because it wasn't, I don't think we were using it on our phone at that time. And there was only one person to hate on and it just, it was me. And, and again, just to add to the storm, everybody was terrified that we were going to overpromote spots and that Facebook was going to be the demise of, of all fishing locations, which is a different story for a different day. But all of those things um, just kind of all happened at the same time. So it was very, very, very rough for a while there. It, it, there were a few years that was very dark. Yeah. April, I, I'd love to ask you a few more questions. And because of the, the nature of the conversation, like feel free to uh, pass on any of them, but I won't pass on a single one of them. Not one. Okay. I pre- I appreciate your openness and uh, attention on this for sure. Um, the, the perfect storm that you mentioned there, kind of this, this wave of new technology, the, the probably the thrill of anonymity online and the lack of repercussions that you mentioned all kind of confluence into this, this, what I would deem as online harassment that this, we have the language for it now is online harassment. Um, um, I'm sure people on the other end were were hiding kind of the the activities and the the fly time the as some sort of joke or you know guising it in the language of comedy. What was the impact for you personally at that point in time as you know someone who's on the other end of this, like basically the target of this, right? Yeah, thankfully, I was so young that it just made me angry. You know, if I wasn't the personality type, it would have absolutely broken me. And I, and I, I've, I said that back then, and I'll say it now, I still call that time in my life, them breaking my knees to see if I could stand. And, you know, that's why if anyone ever even hints that, like, if I were to ever hear that I had, I actually haven't heard that I have an ego, but let's say that I did hear that I did, I would, I would say it's impossible. My knees, those guys, because it wasn't the gals, it was the guys made me so insecure about every single part of me and my casting and my career and why am I being hired? Am I overhyped? All of those things. Mm -hmm. It was impossible to think that you were anything special. Impossible. You know, they did their job. And I'm a confident, strong, I think relatively intelligent, grown-ass woman. And it's I can honestly tell you that it, it still had an impact. 
So if I didn't have the personality type that I have, I can't, I would have, I wouldn't have lasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they tried, they tried hard to break my knees and they succeeded in a lot of ways. But I mean, a lot of those guys, you know, there's always a, there's always a, the other side, right? There were, there were a bunch of great men who stuck up for me and mm-hmm. a bunch of great, particularly fathers who stuck up for me, fathers of daughters. And for every time that I lost faith in men, <laughs> I gained faith, you know? So a lot of great things happened from it too. And it did keep me humble and it did make me realize, oh, I'm not, it made me not teach too soon. You know, I didn't want to tar- start teaching spay casting until I've been doing it for a decade because I didn't want to do something overtly stupid because um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to read about it later. But yeah, just, I think, uh, I think the biggest, the hardest part about it for me and then just thinking about other women I hear from was that I had found what I thought were my people, right? A lot of the gals didn't get it. Um, more of them do now, but back then we hadn't really, that meant my girlfriends and I in fishing hadn't found each other or, you know, they weren't really into it, but the guys were my people and they just didn't want to accept me. And I was willing to damn near die for the fly fishing industry. I loved the fly fishing industry. I would have done anything for it. And the fly fishing industry did not want me. I mean, they mm-hmm. wanted me for certain things, but, but, you know, apart from like a catalog endorsement here or whatever at the board meetings or at the, you know, behind closed doors or at the pub nights at the trade shows, the industry did not love me like I loved it. And it was hard to feel so unwelcome and just not knowing where in the hell I belonged. Mm -hmm. That's got to be super disheartening, especially after you've put so much effort into something that you loved, enjoyed, and up to this point, seems like it has been fairly inclusive. I mean, you have Dave that has been a great mentor for you, has showed you the ropes, and I'm now, I'm sure by this point, I mean, you've had support by your parents, and then all of a sudden the internet comes around, here comes a hammer, get ready for it, boom. How did... uh, how did you come out of that? How, how did it change you? Um, well, it's been, I, how did it change me? It made me angry. Mm-hmm. It made me hungry to be better. Right. So I just always wanted to strive to be, to be better than my past self. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tie flies better. I wanted to, um, at the time it made me fish a lot more because not only did that show that I was hardcore to myself, and, you know, and obviously other people too, but I knew that I was going to become better by being out there more. So it made me fish harder. What it did do was it made me spend a lot more time alone than I think I had planned on. Cause I was on the river a lot alone. And especially with Dave, you know, not following me into steelhead, I spent a lot of days by myself. And I think that was great for me. That was a good thing as a young woman to be not forced alone, but to have to face that time by myself. I, I learned who I was quite early on, I would say, you know, um, and, and, and I love that. And I don't, I would never wish away those days, those days Mm -hmm. by myself out there made me who I am today. And I quite like who I am today. So yeah, I wouldn't have for anything else. I can certainly say that like look into uh, the water for some answers of around life or any struggles and, things that you may be going through is, is a good way to kind of reflect a lot and figure out and give thought to your life and stuff like that. So it's almost like 
the answers came from the very thing that was was giving you all the issues as well. Yeah, it did. And I think that's why I have such a loyalty to to fishing and to the river and to steelhead is they did those they, those things did so much more for me than I ever did for them. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just funny. I remember working at the shop and one of the guys that I really looked up to there, uh, who's actually, who was a father at the time. So I'm surprised that he said this, but he said, you know, it doesn't matter. And he said it so casually, it doesn't matter how good you get and how much of the world you change. Cause I wanted to do a bunch of conservation work. And he said, at the end of the day, they will always just see you as the girl who fished, who got where she is because she's a girl. And I just remember that played with me for years, messed with me for years. And it wasn't until the community opened up with social media. So it's a catch 22 because social media beat me up, but the wonderful people on social media also, you know, built me up because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden I'm meeting fathers that I really respect and I'm meeting industry people that I really, really admire. And I'm meeting other women and other you know, moms. And it was, it was wonderful to have that community and realize that all those years of thinking that I would never be anything other than the woman who, or the girl who was, no one called me a woman back then. I was a girl. So, you know, the girl who fished and see it all be proven wrong was really uh, inspiring. So it feels like it's a million years. It feels like it's ancient news thinking back then, but as I'm sitting here, just reflecting on it and it's all coming back, I'm just remembering it was pretty, it was pretty awful, but, mm-hmm. but angry. I just remember being angry. That was, it wasn't, I was never sad. I was never sad or depressed or anything. I was just constantly angry. Mm-hmm. April, I'd love to bounce a thought off you. And because I've, I've grappled with this in the sense that like, and I've, I've mentioned on the, our podcast before too, like I've never had to worry about what I'm wearing when I'm going out into the field. I've never, been at fear that someone is going to criticize my hunting or fishing skills because how I look, um, (laughs) maybe, maybe, uh, there's, there's some valid criticisms out there on my, my hunting and and fishing skills, but, uh, it's never been because of how I look or present myself. Um, and so I I've wondered, I've tried to put myself in that position and, and think like, obviously on the internet, there's, there's a lot of good things happening. And and we also don't want to lose on the other hand, the ability to have comedy and poke fun at each other and criticize maybe those who deserve criticism will say, if you're, you know, if you're not following the rules and regulations, you probably deserve a little bit of criticism, but what, what seems like it's at stake here for a lot of, uh, I'll be blunt women in the industry is their ability to express themselves in whichever way they feel while they're practicing fishing or hunting or trapping or, or gardening. Um, it, uh, it, it's not so much about, it seems like they could wear any, anything they wanted or anything. It's about them being able to do that without that being the defining feature of them. Right? It's because it's their choice to, to express themselves that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, and there's two parts to this that I kind of want to tackle here. So the first one, before I get into, you know, women who want to dress a certain way, we're going to go down that in, in down that path in just a moment. But let's talk about the teasing for a second. Now, I, even though I'm feminine, was a tomboy growing up, I always have hung out with guys. That's just, just part of it. And great guys um, who I was one of their friends and an equal. And there's an element of razzing that you do. 
and you know you have to listen to Jordan Peterson really go into his theories about all this but he does suggest that and I don't want to butcher any of his speeches here but Jordan Peterson kind of put it into perspective for me he was saying you know guys will kind of harass you a little or razz you other guys not women but other razz other guys to see their level of tolerance can they handle it and and I think he had some sort of overarching psychological reasoning in that if when the going gets tough, will they be, be able to be strong enough to survive it, to help you in a time of real need, which makes perfect sense to me. And that was always kind of my philosophy. Look, the more I like you, the more I make fun of you, right? And so when my buddies would make fun of me, it was fun. And I had a thick skin, we had a thick skin, we had each other's backs. But there is a point where you take it beyond harassing as Jordan, Jordan Peterson's example includes a lunchbox, right? The guy comes to work with the lunchbox made from his mom and he gets made fun of with his lunchbox. And then, you know, you can handle it. And, and the best way to handle it is just to let it slide. It doesn't bug you. And if you get really defensive, they'll harass you more, et cetera, et cetera. There gets to be a point though, where they're not just making fun of you for your lunchbox. They're actually like physically I felt being punched in the face. I mean, hacking my website, targeting companies I was working with for no other reason other than just because they didn't like me. Um, the saying I should be, you know, R A P E D, stuff like that, being threatened to be sexually assaulted, um, make, time flies to imitate parts of my anatomy, and and these aren't cute, like funny little pink flies. Like they were tying some horrible things. Um, altering my photos and, and trying to be malicious. Like this isn't fun. And there's an element of fun in, a, in all of these things that I can find humor in, even dark and crude humor. I have very crude personality and humor. I think a lot of it's funny until we cross that line and they were crossing that line. It was really, really, really malicious. Like they were trying to ruin my life. Mm-hmm. And that to me is taking it too far. It seems like in the in the jesting and the jostling, there's there's more of an element of partnership in in that relationship that's going on. And what happened to you seems like there was zero partnership. It wasn't about from some. I don't not everybody, but from some. And like, look, I I totally make fun of me. I totally get it. Like I said, self inflicted. And that's going to segue us perfectly into women wearing what they want. So this always comes down to intention for me, right? What are your intentions? Well, it's a lot easier to assume, you know, you see a gal who's rolled out of bed and she goes fishing. Let's just focus on women specifically right now. Okay, she rolls out of bed, she goes fishing. Well, it's easy to assume that she's just rolled out of bed to go fishing because she wants to go fishing. Mm -hmm. Now you see a woman who you assume has rolled out of bed, put on makeup, done her hair, color coordinated, and goes fishing. With the introduction of phones and social media, it's a lot harder to assume she's just there to go fishing is she there to get a photo to gain following is she there for sponsorship why is she there so that intention is harder to see where i used to get frustrated is i wasn't rolling out of bed i was rolling out of the casino and going fishing i wasn't Mm. doing my makeup to go fishing i was wearing my i was going after work so you know not every two points not everybody knows the whole story but also what are your intentions? And that is muddied water, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it can be fair grounds for criticism. If you're gonna be out there promoting, especially if you start pulling in species that shouldn't be targeted or rivers that can't handle the pressure, 
and they're going to get a bunch of, of attention or engagement because of what you look like. That can be so much, that can just extend beyond vanity. That could be, you know, threatening a resource. So that's probably taking it too far, but what are your intentions? Mm-hmm. And then if your intentions are to be out there and get a great Instagram photo, how do we feel about that? Not everyone's going to feel great about that. You know, I, I know I take someone a lot less seriously when I know that they went out there to get a photo for Instagram and then went home right away rather than the guy or gal who put in the entire day because they genuinely wanted to be out there. So what mm-hmm. are your intentions? And I, I think nowadays more than ever, it's hard to tell. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm wondering how you reconcile that because that, that that kind of leads us into really murky ground as you've identified is um, it's often hard to tell what people's intentions are, where they're coming from and what the reasons are for, for them presenting a certain way. Um, do you think there's a way forward there? Or do you think we just, we're kind of left to kind of interpret for our own devices what what folks are up to? Well, I think in a lot of ways, it's not really any of our business. You know, there's always more to the story. And for that one photo that that gal needed, I mean, she may have really needed to have paid rent that month. And maybe her $500 from that photo paid rent and she really needed it and it was worth it for her. And quite frankly, if I have a friend on social, because I've got a couple of girlfriends who get totally harassed for being influencers, they're not hurting resources. They're not mishandling fish. They're not pimping out spots. They are not taking jobs from anybody. They're not hurting anybody. They just, you know, once a month or twice a month, they look, look nice and go and get an Instagram photo. Is it how I would do it nowadays? Probably not, but that's just makes it bad. it's not really any of my business. As long mm-hmm. as no one's being hurt, you know? So, but I think the intention is where people, where it's muddy. Because remember, there's an element of people, and, and, and rightfully so, who don't believe we should be using the resource to to profit off of. But then if you want to hold that stance, where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. So you hate her for taking a photo of catching one fish, but you commend him for getting clients into steelhead as a guide 30 days out of the month. I mean, where do you want to draw the line on making money on the resource? So it's, a, equipment. it's murky. Yeah. It's murky, 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 murky water. Yeah. And it almost seems like um, the the farther we wade into it, we get distracted from very tangible issues like resource management, um, you know, environmental concerns, those kind of those kind of questions. And we're, we're now getting into this this gray area of intentionality um, and trying to decipher the, the psyche of each other in some ways. Um, Which is great, though, because it took bloody long enough. You know, I cannot tell you. Seriously, for years, it was like mascara was a big deal, probably because we just didn't realize the the scope of how many other more important things there were. But and it's not just me. I mean, the haters, the lovers, other female anglers. Now we can at least focus on other things. The amount of people hopefully listening to this have rolled their eyes and thought, who cares? Like, I don't care about makeup. Talk about something else. That's what we want. We want you. Those are the people we want listening um so let's do that let's transition into that because i hope that now enough time has gone by that we are seeing more important things it sounds silly but you know a few years ago it or 10 15 years ago it was that shallow but hopefully we've all grown up past that yeah i i I want to thank you for being open and candid about your experience there because i i do think it is well well it does seem like we're maybe dusting off old bones um 
it's still relevant, unfortunately, to the way a lot of folks sometimes experience things online. So I, I hope that as you so eloquently, but that we can, you know, move forward and actually focus on the things that are going to help the resource and, uh, you know, help our community, I guess, as a whole. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. And yeah, uh, sorry if I'm rambling. All these things are coming to me while I'm speaking to you because for for a while there, I had promised that I was never going to talk about it again. I was just not going to talk about being a woman at all. I was just going to be a steward and a sports person, and everybody can make their own assumptions. But I have recently had some some female anglers reach out wanting some advice, and I just want them to know it'll be okay. It seems a little more complicated than that, eh? Like you're. You, it's so much more than fishing, right? It's like yeah. sports, same mm-hmm. thing. Hollywood, same thing. There, it, it's everywhere. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's life. I I really appreciate not you, you've shared. We we like I said, dusted off those old bones, but you've also shared, you know, a lot of positive stuff with us as well too, which is your journey and how basically you picked up fishing, like you picked up a stick and said, Hey, like, I, I want to learn how to be as best I can at this. And now you manage to leverage that into basically a lifelong journey where you get to commute between, well, not right now, but historically been able to move from BC to, uh, to Sydney and, you know, pursue your passions that way. So it's the journey has been, you know, a beautiful one. And it's just great that you're able to share, in so many different ways, whether that's uh, film or podcast or writing, uh, you're, you're kind of touching all those your individual guided services. So, I guess thanks for being a leader in the industry is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, no, it's a community, it's a community thing. But you know, and I think content creator gets a bad. I don't, am I? Con- I guess we're a lot of us. You guys are content creators. I guess we're content creators. It doesn't have to have a negative connotation. You know, we can. It's, it's necessary in a lot of ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. People want content. Like, I think that's why the, the podcast platform's great. People want to listen about honest conversations about the outdoors. People, you, they go to their phones. They go to, you know, I'm on my phone looking for content frequently. So, like, I can't, I can't put my nose up against content creators because I'm consuming a lot of content. <laughs> and I'm one of them. So, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and we're, we're getting kind of meta on the, the content creation now, I suppose, but, uh, Chase, I'm wondering, did you have any like kind of, uh, summarizing kind of thoughts or kind of references here? I'm, I'm noticing the time to hear. Yeah. I uh, just want to be mindful. You know what? I, I have, I have two points that I want to kind of, uh, uh, recirculate here if I can get them out of my sleep deprived brain. Um, and they, they, they are not in, I'm not going to mention these in importance are, in order of importance at all. But firstly, um, you know, at the start of the podcast, we talked a lot about Dave and I really want to pay reverence to Dave and um, the importance of having a good mentor in whatever you're doing. And uh, so thanks to Dave, big thanks to Dave. And because uh, he's obviously a big part of um, who you are today. And I think um, just if somebody's listening right now that has the ability to be a good mentor, um, take that opportunity and be an amazing mentor. And uh, secondly, I just can't help but think that if I were in your shoes when you were going through the worst of it, I, I don't know if I would have came out on top like you would have. So um, 
I, I think it's just amazing that that you you were able to overcome all and come through all that BS and uh, become this amazing resource for people all across the world. And uh, yeah, what do they say? Uh, Nothing silences your critics more than success. Kind of is that the is that the saying? I think so. It's funny though because a lot of those critics have turned out to be you know good friends. <laughs> <laughs> they did they admit they wanted to break my knees they wanted to see if i could you know they wanted me to prove myself mm-hmm. and i hear a lot of that you know i want her to not me but just other people men and women i want them to prove themselves and i just want to remind everybody that you know yes we all want people to put in their time for sure but we don't have to be unkind in the process nobody becomes a hero overnight it takes time to learn and get there and grow and make mistakes even the best people in the biz you know, had to start somewhere. So we don't need, to, we shouldn't be having to focus on proving ourselves right now. You know, we should just focus on the evolution and working together as a team because yeah, it, it doesn't have to be nasty by any means. Well, April, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, being open, being candid. And also um, I learned a lot throughout this podcast. So I just want to acknowledge um, that and your, your dedication as a pro in the industry. So that's, that's awesome. And uh, I want to encourage people to check out Anchored Outdoors and, uh, you know, take a look there. Anything else that we can be looking forward to on the horizon here? New membership launches December. It's very exciting. So it's a four-phase program and you can take it at your own pace. And what's really cool is we've just done a bunch of software work where it's a point system too. So you can earn points, which uh, can be spent anywhere on the site or gifted to friends and loved ones. And it really, we're about to add some very exciting new additions to the membership that is going to grow the community um, together. I mean, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and yeah, really help to get the results that people want to see. So new membership launches December, you can still sign up now for, I think right now it's super cheap. It's like four ninety nine a month or fifty nine eighty eight for the year. Prices go up in December, but if they sign up now, they'll be locked in forever at that low rate if they would like. And then we open the doors to that once a year, all-inclusive membership in April. But if they if they become a member now, they'll have the first they'll have first dibs and all of that. So um, if you have any questions, email me at info at anchoredoutdoors.com and I will see if I can help get you set up. Awesome, and we'll throw all that stuff in the description in our bio. Right, and I promise on the membership we do not talk about anything about you know as far as being a woman. In this world, <laughs> it's such an equal. There's so many men and women that I, I think yeah. it would just drop drop jaws if that even came up. It'd be so unexpected. So cool. Very much a results-driven membership. All business. All of it. Well, <laughs> yeah. A little fun. Well, and thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll catch you on the other side. There. Thanks, guys. And that's a wrap for ninety-seven. April Volke. April, thanks so much for coming on. The, the uh, A few things I really appreciated about hearing April's perspective is like Chase alluded to earlier, just how much of a pro April is. But I also noticed that she's just super approachable too, right? And uh, well, she's got like just a, a, a fantastic presence. You could tell that all through her journey, she took time to reach out to those who like supported her or those who were interested in fly fishing to kind of go that extra mile to uh, build that community. So I think it's folks like that who continue to build community, to engage anglers, hunters in new ways. 
um, that are going to be successful in our industry and also successful in bringing relevant content to everyone. So thanks so much, April. Um, and yeah, we hope to see you on the water soon, but, uh, away from the podcast there, Chase, uh, what's cooking? Well, I just want to say a big thank you to pit barrel cookers because they are a big supporter of this podcast and uh they obviously supported this episode so if you want to get into a pit barrel cooker head over to uh, pitbarrelcookers.com they're a upright barrel cooker system charcoal powered charcoal flame and it's going to step up your flavor game 1000 percent guaranteed super easy to use super affordable they are a fraction of the cost of uh pellet grills and uh, I like them the most because we literally take them hunting with us everywhere. And you just strap them in the box of the truck and throw all your gear inside and away you go. They're not like a hauling around a flimsy barbecue. So they're literally they're a, a like a drum that you throw in the back and away you go. So rugged, rugged. Yeah, definitely rugged. Um, but other than that... You know, we got uh, we got some good stuff in our store, some youth hats, crew neck sweaters, scoop neck sweaters that are probably the comfiest sweater ever. There's for uh, the ladies out there. Um, coming up to uh, gun season here, we are low on blaze orange stuff. So if there's something in store that you see, you might want to scoop it up fast. And uh, But we do have some hoodies coming in, I believe. Some blaze orange hoodies on the docket here. Should be in soon. So, um, but other than that, I hope everyone's having a great fall. I hope you're getting some time in the field, time on the water, and I uh, hope you're spending it with some, some people that you enjoy being out there with. Thanks so much for listening. Keep those knives sharp and edge on that knife. Uh, keep the powder dry. And you know what? While you're at it, keep those waders dry. There you go. Keep your broadhead sharp too. Thanks for listening.